The title of my message this morning in our Luke series is, Get In While There's Still Time. And if you would, if you're able to, join me by standing as I read God's word this morning, Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. I'll begin there by reading verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is God's word. Join me as I pray. Father, today we look at this word and we hear what Jesus is saying, but help us not only to hear it, but to give heed to it, so that as he addresses the people in his day on the way to Jerusalem, you would address us today who sit under the hearing of the word so that we would know your word to us, that we would by your spirit apply it, and that you would have mercy on us once again, grace on us, and that there would be no one here today who leaves this place without first entering the narrow door of salvation. Lord, you have done all this. Would you do what you alone can do here today? Speak through me and apply your word to our hearts by your spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. I'm just going to go straight to the theme of this morning, and this is what we need to know. You must enter the kingdom of God right now. For the time will come when you can't get in. It's a hard truth, isn't it? And if there's anything that the Gospel of Luke is teaching us, the further we get in is that the closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the more urgent he becomes. And frankly, the more blunt he becomes in the way that he speaks. So I'll say it again. You must enter the kingdom of God right now, for the time will come when you can't get in. Now, I want you to know that Jesus is very urgent when he delivers this message today, but he does not panic. And I'm not up here to make you panic. I'm not looking for success today, being people flock the aisles and cry out to God, although that would be a a good thing if that did happen, that's up to the Lord. The Lord is urgent because he knows the eternal realities in which we all live, almost mindlessly, as if there is no eternity, but he focuses on eternity and he calls on us to see and sense the urgency that we must enter the kingdom of God right now for a time will come 
when we will not get in. And so I want to look at three points right from the text of Scripture in Luke 13 this morning. And they are these. Strive to enter the narrow door. That's directly from Scripture. Let's find out what Jesus means when he says that. In the second place, beware if you won't enter. There are some things Jesus warns us about if we don't hear his words and apply them well today. And finally, how do we enter? How to enter? The application at the end will walk through what Jesus says. I read this and admittedly, in the initial reading, you don't see much hope. Jesus says that there will be people in his day who will appear at his doorway once he closes it and they will be banging on it and saying, let us in. We thought we were in. Why are we out? And Jesus is calling on them, even through that warning he gives, to focus on the only way to get in. And in the warnings of Jesus is still the mercy of Jesus. And we will see that at the end. But we must feel a bit of this tension as we go through. So look at that first point. Strive to enter the narrow door. Beginning in verse 22, we see that Jesus is on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Now, back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus set out initially towards Jerusalem. His ministry up in the northern region of Galilee was done. And at this point, he was ready to go down to Jerusalem because it says in chapter 9, verse 51, that the time for him to be lifted up or the time for him to be exalted or the time for him to be put forward ultimately for crucifixion was really on the timeline that he was feeling most urgently. And it was time for him to go. And at this point in Luke chapter 13, we're reminded Jesus is still making his way down. Now he's taking kind of a meandering course with a deliberation to eventually get down to Jerusalem. But along the way, he's teaching, he's healing, he's helping people, doing all the things that we know Jesus to be doing, casting out demons everywhere he goes, spreading the, the light, the grace, and the, the, the presence of God through the kingdom of God that he proclaims and reveals. But along the way, um, there is a man who's walking close enough to Jesus. And you got to remember at this time, there were the, the 12 disciples that Jesus had called to him, but there were other people following him all the time. Some of these people were committed. We know of a group of ladies that were there following along with the disciples. They were the ones who were at the empty tomb at the end. Uh, they always were ministering to the disciples and Jesus, helping them along the way, following Jesus because they too loved the Lord. And there were lots of people who were just flocking along with Jesus as he made his way down to the south. And one of these men says to Jesus, as he looks around and he thinks about what's going on. I mean, he, he sees all around him, there are lots of people, but you know, a lot of other people in Jerusalem and in the outlying areas of Israel have seen Jesus, but have rejected him. And this guy's pretty sure that Jesus is the Messiah that's coming. And so he, he looks around and realizes that the crowd isn't huge, and that not everybody is getting saved. Not everybody is following Jesus. And he, he just, he wonders about that. So he asked Jesus a question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, why does he ask this? Well, the context within this time was the rabbinic or Jewish religious authorities' opinion that all Jews would be saved once the Messiah came. That when the Lord showed up, 
at that point, everyone in Israel would recognize that their king had come and they would submit to his rule, that he would establish a foothold in the region that would spread out over the whole world and that the Gentiles, people like us, who had no right to be there under the rule of the Messiah, in their opinion, would be kicked out. And so as the man, a Jew, thinks about this context, he's wondering, now, is that going to happen right now or not? Lord, will those who are saved be few? Just a couple of things about this question. I don't think it's mere intellectual curiosity. This man has a lot of passion invested right now in getting an answer to this question because his hope is set on Jesus being the Messiah who will do what he's expecting the Messiah to do. But I also think that there's some pride in this question and some presumption on the part of the man asking. And no doubt there were many, many others who had the same question around him. What was the pride that was driving this? It was this presumptive attitude that they were in because they were a part of a nation that God had chosen to separate out of the world. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the temple in Jerusalem. And in all of these ways, their hopes, like Paul says in Romans 2, was set on these things. They were the chosen people of God. So were all the chosen people going to get in? Is that what's going to happen? You know, well, Jesus answers this question in a way that sets up the entire sermon for us today. He answers the man not with a number. He doesn't say, well, you know, maybe 60%. You know, I did hear from, you know, Lifeway, that statistic, that maybe there are 60% of the millennials that will believe. No, he, he doesn't talk like that. You know, what does Jesus do for us, we who, who, who suddenly get on board with the latest statistics and we want to know numbers and we want to have, you know, the idea that something is successful so that we can jump on board. Jesus says, it's not about the numbers. It's about you. It's not about how many. It's about will you be in that kingdom? And so he says the answer is not a number. The answer is a matter of time and the importance of people reckoning with the reality of this narrow door. He says, strive to enter the narrow door. This word strive is interesting. Jesus uses this word, and it's the Greek word agonizomai, where you can hear that root of our English word agonize. If you're agonizing about something, it's gripped you, and it won't leave you alone. It's also the Greek root word for those who compete in athletic games and for soldiers who fight. Their agonizomai is their focus on one thing ahead of them. They don't get distracted by this or this. They know their mission, so they do it. The athlete knows his goal, so he works toward it. And when Jesus tells us to strive, it is his instruction for those who think they are in to let everything else that distracts them from really knowing how to get in, getting rid of all that, and doing the work of focusing on what Jesus is saying. If there's one thing Jesus can urge the people to do at this moment, he's saying, pay attention. Don't miss this word. 
lean in and put some elbow grease to it. Work, fight, focus, pay attention to what I'm saying to you because you've been walking with me all this time and you're in danger of missing it. Strive, he says. One thing that I look at this text and notice is that Jesus says all the stuff that we tend to feel we urgently need is not the important stuff. Jesus says that you are important to him. You are important. And he urges you to think about whether you have entered into that narrow door or not. Now, what is the narrow door? You know, this expression, it calls on us to picture a tight squeeze. Nobody likes to walk through tight squeezes. You know, I can remember when I was seven years old, my trip to Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. Perhaps some of you have been there before. You know, the, I looked it up and the historic tour that I took back when I was seven years old is still offered and the cave hasn't changed. It's an, it's an interesting tour. That one has been offered for the past 200 years or so. And basically you can walk in the footsteps of people who walked in that cave in America so long ago. Um, I can remember as a little kid, you know, walking down these steps, seeing these old saltpeter mines and looking up in this cavern, seeing the ceiling where people's torches from generations past and the soot had gone up to mar the, the, the beautiful ceiling on the top. But ultimately we came to this one pass that was called Fat Man's Misery. And it, it's an awful name and I didn't come up with it. I'm not trying to be insensitive today. You know, I can remember we teased my dad at the time. Um, he's 5'9", he's probably closer to 200 pounds or 190, whatever it was. And for him, that was about the limit of what he felt comfortable with, going through this fat man's misery pass. But in order to get to this open, almost cathedral-like dome, you had to pass through, on the historic tour, this pass called Fat Man's Misery. And it's not walls all the way around you. The walls come up to about here. And as a seven-year-old, I just zipped right through, laughing at my dad on the way as he <laughs> shuffled behind me and ducked down a little bit to get through that. And then also came Tall Man's Misery later on, where if you are a tall man, you literally have to stoop down so low in order just to get through. But it's tight. And I'm thinking of the word of Jesus here when he talks about the narrow door. What he's talking about is a pass through which we must go in order to be saved. And it's not literal. It's not a place on a map. It's not down in a cave. But it is an expression that helps us understand what Jesus means as salvation being exclusive. You know, there's not a lot of open doors through which you can go in order to get to God. There's only one, and it's narrow. And just like a larger person would not want to go through that pass in the middle of that cave, a lot of people get to what Jesus says, and they just don't want to go that way. They hear the words that Jesus says, and they find them offensive, and they turn away. And they go out the other way, trying vainly to find some other way to get through but they will not get through. The only way through is through Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, 
enter by the narrow gate. This is another time when he explains it. The narrow gate is the same narrow door. And then he also says the pathway beyond that continues to be narrow. It requires us not only to get in by Jesus, but to stay connected to Jesus. Like I had a guide through the Mammoth Cave that took us through all of those caverns and made sure we didn't get lost. But Jesus is the one that we need to be connected to. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Warning here, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is staggering to the man who asked the question, Lord, few? Few will find the way? How is it possible? Because he's expecting the entire nation of Israel as a whole to be saved. He's looking forward to when the Romans and all the other Gentile dogs will be kicked out and where they can recline at the table of God in the kingdom of God, forever feasting and being with their Lord. But Jesus tells him, beware, beware if you think you are in, because many will seek a way to get in, but they will not be able to. The time is now for entering the kingdom of God, for a time will come when you will not be able to get in. The time is now. There are questions that ran through that man's head in Jews that day, but I think there are questions that ran, run through our heads as well regarding this exclusive claim of Jesus, that there's really only one narrow way to go through in order to be saved. And I just want to assure you that that's really true, what Jesus says. Many people try to reason that when you look at all the religions of the world, really, you know, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, Baha'ism, or Christianity, when you boil it all down, it's all really the same, isn't it? When you take away all the trappings and all of the external stuff, the essence of it, it's really the same, right? It all leads to God. And Jesus offers a resounding no to that presumption. Today, we do not like the exclusive claim of Jesus because our world proclaims that we need to be inclusive. But I tell you, the world is inclusive of almost everything except Jesus. But this is what you will find. This is the irony. Jesus says, I am the exclusive way to God. But anybody, anywhere, at any time can come. That's the irony. But it's the beauty of our Savior. I am the exclusive way to God. But anyone, anywhere, anytime can come. And here is what Jesus goes on to say to warn us about what is to come. And in the second place, because I don't want you to miss it, and because Jesus doesn't want you to miss it, we need to know the warnings. So Jesus says, beware if you won't enter the narrow door. Jesus speaks with increasing urgency about the time limit on salvation by giving what seems to be a parable. And this is an interesting section here, starting with verse 25. He says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. It's interesting that the elements here seem like a parable. You have a master of the house, you have a house, 
You have him getting up and shutting the door and some people coming and talking to him. It's similar to other places where Jesus has told parables about everyday things to relate to eternal truth. But I think there is something more here, and Jesus is saying not just what is a potential by telling a story, but he's saying what will be a reality for these people listening if they do not enter in by the narrow door. He says that there will come a time when the narrow door becomes a closed door. And at that time, when the people come, what is the future that they will realize and what is their mistake and outcome? Well, here's what I think their main mistake was. They thought that mere proximity to Jesus was enough. But in this story that Jesus tells them about their potential future, he says mere proximity to Jesus isn't enough to get you in. And what do I mean by this? Well, what did they say to Jesus? Jesus, we ate and drank in your presence. You know, for us who go to Chick-fil-A and order, you know, a Chick-fil-A combo meal and scarf it down in 10 minutes, you know, that's not what these people were talking about. Jesus, we just, we, we ran through a drive through and got something to eat and then rushed back to work. You know, they, they sat down at table with Jesus. In the Middle East, people would lie down and eat. For some of us, that's a really good thing. You know, that's like the height of experience there, being able to lie down and eat. You know, I, I often... <laughs> I often tell one of my daughters who tends to lie down and eat, no, sit up, it's not proper posture. I just need to go to the Middle East more and realize, hey, dads in the Middle East wouldn't say that. They'd say, hey, it's all right. It's the, the height of culture here. And this is what people did. They would sit down, and they wouldn't spend 15 minutes. They would spend three or four hours. It might take 15 minutes to eat, but in the process, they'd be talking with one another and getting to know one another. They would listen to Jesus they heard what he was teaching, and they thought, man, this is good stuff. And when they say, we ate and drank in your presence, they're not just saying, hey, we grabbed a quick meal together. They're saying, we were right there when you were teaching the good stuff, and we heard it. It was good. And Jesus just says, I don't know where you come from, because he is the master. I don't know where you come from. And they said, well, well Lord, you taught in our streets. You were right there. You came. You, the Lord, the master. You walked through our village. And we were right there listening to you. We heard it all. And Jesus says, depart from me. I don't know where you come from, you worker of evil. And so this is a, a staggering thing for us to hear from the scripture. And it would have been shocking to the man who asked that question. And for us today... You know, I, I think a burden on us is to recognize something. When the, when the door is closed someday, when the master gets up and that door is shut, no excuse is going to work if you find yourself on the outside of that door. Telling him, I went to church every Sunday. I listened to Sam for 25 years. I was there. I took the Lord's Supper. And if you're on the outside of that door, the master will say to you, I don't know where you come from. 
This is the intimate word of knowledge that is an intimate knowledge. He will say, I don't know you. I don't know you. Because in life, it was not about mere proximity to Jesus. It is about intimate connection with Jesus. You can't get by with the religious exterior if you do not have a religious heart, a relationship with Christ. This is what's essential. This is what is urgent. And nobody can say to Jesus outside of that door, my parents are believers. They're in there sitting at the table right now. For seniors today, if there's one thing I know is that when you grow up and when you are launched out, you will realize quickly it has never been about what your parents believe. It is crucial for you to embrace the truth of Jesus for yourselves. Amen. For yourselves. Amen. Otherwise, the danger will be riding in to heaven as if you could by clinging to the legs of your parents, and that will not work. And sadly, friends, misery awaits you in hell if you don't get in. This is awful, but Jesus is the one in the New Testament, the New Testament theologian who speaks about hell the most. Some people would think Jesus never mentioned hell. Well, read the Bible. You'll see that he does. He does here in Luke chapter 13 today. And he wants us to recognize something about hell. He says that it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why those two things? Weeping out of the, the utter misery of knowing that you didn't get in. But you're not going to be out there realizing just how wrong you were and sorrowful about it and repentant. By gnashing your teeth, you would be out there angry forever at God. Angry at God. Gnashing your teeth. Weeping for the misery you feel. Separated forever from God. Hell, says Philip Riken, a pastor who wrote in his commentary, hell will be a place of anguish and affliction. It will be a place of remorse as people cry bitter tears of grief for all that they have lost. It will be a place of rage as they gnash their teeth in angry defiance of God. It will be a place of regret as people mourn the folly of their unbelief. Friends, we often live with an illusion that we have all the time in the world. And that maybe coming to Jesus is something we could do later. I've heard the sad report of someone recently talking with some of their children. And the children think that giving their life to Jesus or talking about things of God, it's kind of important, but there are some other things they want to accomplish first. And if you don't put Jesus first, then nothing else in life will make sense. Nothing else in life will align the way that it's supposed to. Everything will be broken. And you'd never know when your time will come. This time of year, I remember 1988, May 29th, was the day that my cousin, Christopher Gillespie, and his cousin, Scotty Gillespie, were walking on a country road from Chris's house down to their grandparents' house. And just a little ways from 
Chris's mom and dad's house. A drunk driver drove down the road and hit both of those boys and killed them instantly. I can remember getting the call as an eight-year-old. My cousin Chris was just 10 and going over to their home and hearing the weeping, the weeping, and knowing the, the pain that came when a life was unexpectedly in that moment snuffed. My cousin knew the Lord, so he was ready for his time. But for those of us who don't know what the future holds, will we really place our future just in, in the, the chance that we, we won't die? <laughs> That's silly. Everyone dies. But also, will we take the chance that we won't suddenly die? I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to scare you. Again, I'm not trying to make you panic. But I want you to feel the urgency that Jesus speaks of in this text. None of us ever know the day or hour that we will die, but Jesus speaks to all of us this morning, make sure you enter the narrow door before you do not have a chance to enter it, before it is shut. So finally, friends, I want to talk today about how to enter the narrow door. There are some words that Jesus gives us that I think we need to think about, things that he implies that I know we need to take into our hearts. In the first place, let's go back to that word, strive. Strive. Now, it might seem weird when you're talking about the way to salvation to use the word strive. I don't want you to get confused by it. I don't want you to read this word and think that Jesus is saying, if you really want to be saved, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, then work hard because you might miss it. Jesus is not saying that. It's impossible for any of us to work hard. You know, works in our minds are coming to church. Work might mean being kind to other people. Work might mean making a meal for a shut-in. Work might mean going even to a mission field to serve others and to try to make a difference. But Jesus isn't talking about those kind of work. He's not talking about striving in those ways. His point of striving is that we naturally look for other ways to make life work, and we gravitate towards those doorways. We look for ways to not face the self-denial that Jesus talks about, and we prefer to go in ways that self-promote us. We prefer not to die to self, but to live this life to its fullest right now. And in all of these ways, Jesus is telling us, strive to get rid of those thoughts and to be real about what's going on in your spiritual life and make it your aim, make it your goal to go forward through the narrow door. Do this because there is no hope in any other way. You may be deceived today by a false gospel. And you need to strive to see that as a false gospel. There are gospels that are not gospels that say to you, believe on God, maybe get connected to God, whatever that might mean to them, to fulfill your utmost potential. As if salvation is merely about being delivered from a boring life. There are many who preach that kind of a thing. That's not good preaching. Strive to see that as a false gospel gospel. There are many who may need to strive today to see that you have dead works that are keeping you from an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. 
There will be no amount of teaching or preaching that any of us can do that in the end can convince Jesus that we need to get into his kingdom. There will be no amount of time that you spend with little kids trying to lead them in the way of the narrow way, yet miss the narrow way yourself. You, you cannot depend on your service here or on any mission field as being sufficient to lead you on the narrow path and get you through the narrow door. No, strive to get rid of all those things. And ultimately when we strive, we strive to lose to ourselves. We strive not to win, but we strive to get to Jesus. We strive to find him. And that's the second point that I want to talk about today. Be humble, be humble, be broken. Going back to what Jesus said, he said that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets were going to be sitting at table in the kingdom of God. They were going to be there to enjoy the feast. And Jesus said to those who would not enter through the narrow door, they would look and see beyond that chasm and not be able to get there. But they would see, they would see those men in there enjoying the feast. It would have stabbed them in the heart to know that they were included in that group under those patriarchs, and yet to be outside and see them inside. And do you really ever consider how those patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, got in there? You know, I read about those guys every year in January in Genesis. And my conclusion every single January, the question that I ask is, how did these guys ever get into the kingdom of God? Scoundrels, all of them. Any Jewish friends here who revere Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob know that I respect them, and I am no better than any of them. But I read about them and the way that they lied, the way that they were afraid, the way that they ran from trouble, the way that they disobeyed, the way their families were torn apart. And I think, how did these guys get into the kingdom of God? You know, it's the way that any of us get into the kingdom of God, to be humble and broken and recognize that a redeemer is needed for us. Amen. We need a savior. And we need a savior not just from boring lives, not just from dead works. We need a savior from the wrath of God. And ultimately, if anyone gets into the kingdom of God at all, it's because they have gone to Jesus to be saved from the wrath of God by God to go to Jesus, to cling to him, recognizing he is the Savior. And receive grace. This is what you need to do to enter. Humility, who can ever be humble enough? Who can ever strive enough? But ultimately, friends, what's pictured at the end of this story are people from east and west, from north and south, who flock through the narrow door. They've all found it by God's grace. And they're sitting there at table with the prophets and the patriarchs. And what is this picture for us? It's what Jesus says. You know, the first will be last, and the last will be first. So there is no hierarchy about who deserves to be saved. Anybody can be saved. And everybody, if they will come through the narrow door, will find that God is gracious if they will come through Jesus, if they will know their sins, and if they will repent of those sins, 
God, forgive me of these sins. They will find grace. You know, I, I think of that tight pass again through Mammoth Cave and wondering if it would ever end, but having the security then of lights and of a guide. Think of the end of time when you make that pathway from life to death and you go through that narrow door and you wonder what's on the other side. When I went through that cave and got through the other side to see that large open canyon-like place for a seven-year-old that was big, open, and I could breathe once again. Something even better than that is coming for us who go through the, the narrow door now while there's still time to go into the presence of God someday and to have the feast of God forever and to celebrate with him for all eternity to know that you are forgiven. And yes, there may be few who make it in, but we don't know the exact number. And I would say to you today, let nothing hinder you. Let nothing stop you from striving to enter the narrow door. The Lord has set the table. Come to him and trust him to be a faithful and sufficient savior. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the truth of this text. It pierces like a sword and it, it cuts into my heart and it reveals things about me that I need to bring to you. And I know that it speaks to all here today. This is your desire that all who are here would enter the narrow door. If they have, that they would rejoice. Not that they did anything unique or special to make it to get in, but that by your grace, they're in. And I pray today that all would come, that all would embrace Jesus and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.